Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, episode 45, February 5th, 2023. So glad you could make it. About a day late this week. I like to record on Saturday, but yesterday was my daughter Sydney's sweet 16th birthday. So we had a, a good old time going out to eat. Actually, went out to eat the five of us for the first time in three years. Kind of wild to think about that. Um, getting a lot of takeout. But um, we did some stuff. We did 16 presents for 16 days leading up to it, uh, getting her car ready, and um, <clears throat> my my mom did that, and, and I think Sarah's mom has some stuff for it as well, and so uh, since it is her birthday weekend, I thought I'd share in this first half of today's episode, episode 45, that uh, I'd, I'd share the, the quick story of, of Sydney being born. We, we talked about Sam's birthday back uh, at the new year and the adventures we had in Myrtle Beach and then in Florence, South Carolina. Um, and this one was not exactly the same, but in some ways it was the same. We, we were, it was 2007, um, Super Bowl weekend. If I remember correctly, I always try to go back and remember who was in the game. Um, but I never can, but uh, we we were back in Boiling Springs at this point, and I was teaching at Crest High School for a couple of years, and uh, we were headed down to the Cracker Barrel in Gaffney, and t- the the day was a Saturday, uh, Saturday February third, and we were um, we were gonna have a baby shower that day. Sid was due, uh what five weeks later, four weeks later, um. And so we were going to have the baby shower and it was going to be great. And Sarah's friends were all coming down and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and as we got to the Cracker Barrel and stepped out of our brand new um, green minivan, Dodge, what was that? I'm such a Toyota guy now. I can't even remember. Um, the Dodge Caravan, that's what it was. Uh, brand new since we were going to have two kids to put around. Sarah stepped out the, the van and her water broke. And she called up the the nurse, and the nurse was like, "Well, you know, sometimes it it could be just a little bit of a a bladder thing if the baby kicks your bladder." And she's like, "Oh yeah, this is not just a little bit." And so they said, "All right, well, come on in to the hospital." And so, I mean, come on, man, like there's this chicken tender sandwich at Cracker Barrel that the grilled chicken tenders, and it's got the bacon, like the Cracker Barrel bacon. You know what I'm saying? Which they know how to do it. It's got Colby cheese. It's on this Texas toast type stuff. These big giant French fries, steak fries that come with it. They're honey mustard. Man, I was looking forward to that for lunch. And instead, now we got a drive through Burger King. So I guess I'll let that one slide. I mean, it's been 16 years now. Maybe it's time for me to let it go. Um, but anyway, we, we get back and we drop Sam off at my mom's house. 
Uh, you know, Sam is, is two or had just turned three. And uh, so he was a three-year-old little curly headed little dude. And so we dropped him off at my mom's house and then went on into the hospital. Now we had gotten this magnet, you know, we got this magnet to put on our refrigerator with the stork on it and all those kinds of things that says, all right, call this number and just, you can come straight to the brand new baby wing. Um, you don't have to go through the ER. You don't have to do any kind of thing. If you're, if you're coming in to have a baby, come straight to the, uh, the ward there. And so we're ready to do that. And we, we got there and it was still under construction. And I just don't understand why do you send those magnets out, you know, if the place isn't ready yet, but it wasn't ready. And so we ended up having to go in through the ER. This is February, Saturday in February. And so of course the ER is just absolutely packed. Um, we go up to the desk and there's this guy that is in front of us who's holding a, a t-shirt over his nose and he's holding the t-shirt over his nose and he's just he's talking like this you know? and so the nurse just says all right you got to take the shirt off of your of your face so that i can understand what you're talking about he takes the shirt off his face and he's just bleeding profusely with and he had a saw blade a piece of a saw blade i still i don't know uh, stuck in his nose and she's like oh yeah okay you can put the shirt back on so they're going to put the shirt back on and anyway we we move on and 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 all right we're we're up okay my wife her water broke we're having a baby okay uh, somebody's coming to get you and i politely ask can we wait on the other side of the emergency room so that we're not in here with all these sick people um and they said that was fine and we wait for i don't know how long it was a long it was too long so I went back into the ER at the ER desk and said, hey, my wife, uh, you know, she's having the baby and um, can, is somebody coming? Oh, they, they haven't come to get you yet? Well, no, that's why I'm, yeah, uh, back over here. So anyway, they come back and finally the guy comes walking down the wheelchair. It's just me and Sarah in the hallway. Sarah, obviously pregnant, and he's making jokes about, oh, you must be the, I'm not in the, I don't need the, I don't need the jokes at this time. Okay, I don't need the jokes, but uh Anyway, we finally get settled in. We get settled in in Cleveland Regional or whatever it's called now. Um, and all the people come to the hospital room. All the people that were there for the baby shower come and they're there in the hospital room. And so we had the baby shower. Whew, and man, that was just a lot of things going on. I'm, you know, over in the side playing this little blue handheld Tetris game that we've had that we had I mean we wore that thing out and so it doesn't even work anymore I still have it uh, but it doesn't work anymore um, but I'm doing that just kind of shielding myself you know from all the madness because I need I need a little bit of space in those stressful type situations but and and Sam like they've got this stuff called the puppy chow some people call it like white trash I don't know reindeer food something like that it's that I don't know what it, cereal it is, chicks, it, it's whatever. It's got all that powdered sugar on it. And Sam is about two feet tall, three feet tall with a big old head of curly hair. And he is double fisting that stuff. I mean, he's just popping that stuff into his mouth left and right and just running around, hands up in the air, just blah. It is just a madhouse for sure. So we do all that and all that's fine. We watch the state, state beat Carolina 
in basketball that day, which was a, a good thing. Anytime Carolina loses, as they did to the Dukies last night. And um, so we're, we're just doing all this stuff, hanging out. Sarah's bouncing on bouncy balls and walking around trying to speed, you know, trying to get the labor going and all this kind of stuff. The nurses are great. And uh, it, it, it gets later in the evening and it gets to be about time for the uh, anesthesiologist to come in. You know, Sarah, uh, we did the epidural with Sam and she's going to do it again uh, with Sid. And so we they page the guy and it's been like, I don't know, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And he, he hasn't even responded. Finally, he gets there however much later and said that it, the batteries in his his pager were, were dead. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're important. You need to have your pager working. But anyway, he gets there and has to go first to an emergency appendectomy. I totally get that. No, no worries. As Bill Cosby says, people, babe, women been having babies for you know thousands and thousands of years without any uh, types of drugs. And so anyway, finally he, he comes in. Now you've got to remember if you if you want to go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't the one about Sam's birthday it it, it it's the 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 anesthesiologist there was just phenomenal and Sarah was like you can come back anytime you know like that was the experience we had with that anesthesiologist and and this one comes in I just remember he had the hairiest arms I've ever seen but anyway he comes in he's he's his phone's going off he has the nurses holding his phone. He's looking back to the side, like his his head is is turned back to the left while he's prepping his gloves and while he's prepping the needle and all this kind of stuff. Never once mentions Sarah by name. Um, just looks at her chart, and then proceeds to inject Sarah with the epidural. And Sarah's like, ah, and he's like, oh, is that on the left or on the right? She's like, it's on the left. So he missed, you know, and then he missed again. He did it again. And then finally on the third time, he finally got it in and everything was working great. And I went, I mean, I'm just, I'm man, I went to the desk and I was like, I would like to file a complaint against this guy. And they hand me this, like, well, let's just say it was what? Eight inches thick of a binder full of papers that I would have to fill out. And I was like, well, I, I don't want to fill it out that bad, which is how they get you with the bureaucracy. Right. But so I walked back, just furious. We didn't have to deal with that guy anymore, thankfully, and that was great. So there we are in the hospital Saturday night. My dad's there, you know, always uh, uh, hoping that we'll hurry up and get on with it. <laughs> Sam took us till two in the morning, of course. Um, but uh, it's it's around midnight and maybe a little bit before. Yeah, it was right around midnight. And it wasn't time. I just want to emphasize that it wasn't time. Um, if, if you've, if you've had a baby in the hospital or if you've been there for one, or if you do at some point, then I suspect you'll realize that the nurses do most of the work, like 90 more percent of the work. The nurses are there, they're checking, they're monitoring, they're comforting, they're checking again, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then when it's time, they let the doctor know, and then the doctor comes in crotches down with the face shield and then, you know, grabs the rope, so to speak. And so, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't time. I just want you to under, understand that. And, and, 
you know, we were in Boiling Springs and Sarah had gone to, we, our, our favorite doctor was Dr. Herring. Um, she was everybody's favorite doctor at the time, but one of her kids, those kids who would eventually be in my classroom uh, years later, uh, but one of her kids was sick that night. She had to stay home with the kid because her husband was also a doctor of some sort and he was on duty. Uh, and so there was going to be a different doctor. Now we had gone to every single doctor. We had seen every single doctor, both at the Boiling Springs office and in the Shelby office, just because, just in case that was the situation so that we would be comfortable with, um, with the, with the doctor that came in. And so it, it wasn't going to be any of those doctors. That was a brand new doctor. It was a doctor named Dr. Chamberlain. So Dr. Chamberlain comes in with his green scrubs on and, you know, whatever shoes, but a Notre Dame hooded sweatshirt. He had on a, a Notre Dame hooded sweatshirt. And so, you know, I've been thinking about Our Lady and the presence that she came and brought to us that night, um, this week. I, I've been thinking about it. Um, and so he comes in just because he wanted to get to know Sarah a little bit, to have a few conversations with her before, you know, if he was going to be the one delivering her baby. That's why he came in, not because it was time. Have I said that? And so he's there and they're joking around, of course. And you know what? Sydney's the, the heart rate monitor, it stopped registering. And so um, they, they, they did some things and moved some stuff around. They're like, okay, well, you, you've got to push this baby out. And it was, it was a hectic, hectic situation. I mean, it was just a crazy situation. And Sarah eventually pushed Sydney out, um, without having a contraction. Um, Sydney comes out, they, they get rid of the, the cord and all that kind of stuff. I didn't cut it this time. The doctor cuts it right away. Sydney is perfectly fine. There is no, issues at all. They put her in that little bucket and do that test and then put her right on to, you know, onto Sarah. And, and that was it. That was beautiful. We're not exactly sure what time she was born. We estimate between 1220 and 1225, you know, early morning, February 4th. Um, because it was a, it was a wild situation. And the doctor came in when it wasn't time with his Notre Dame hooded sweatshirt to be there for the birth of our sweetness. And um, you can call it what you want. You can think what you want, and that's all good. Um, but the Notre Dame hooded sweatshirt and the presence of the mother, you know, that was uh, that's a real thing for me. So 16 years later, I still remember that fondly and think, you know, what a miracle, what a, a miraculous thing. Um, that night was. Well, I do have a bit of a handyman update for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, one of the things that Sydney, uh, one of the verse 16 for 16 presents was, was getting the new, getting the sunroof fixed. The sunroof on Stella blue, the old blue 2011 Camry. Um, it stopped working because the, uh, I told you this, I think before the, uh, the drains had clogged up and so it was leaking and a lot of water was getting in. And so, um, at first I wanted just to make sure people always say to check the fuses. Everybody I've talked to says it's really never the fuses. They always check the fuses first, but I did, I checked the fuses and look to get up underneath to find the fuses for this thing. 
my dad has always told me to keep my butt behind me, but it was just not a possible situation. The way I was contorted and having to reach up under there with that little grabber tool to get the fuse out. And I definitely have strained my abdomen muscle uh, doing that. <laughs> and so I think it's finally recovered. So there was there was that kind of thing. Um, I, uh, I, I, we, we got a new roof. Um, we had some hail damage on our roof. And so we got an insurance claim, 500 buck deductible, and they, they were able to put the new roof on uh, this past Friday. So that's pretty sweet. And my outbuilding that my dad built, the roof in it is leaking. And that's where I keep a lot of the wood for our, for our outdoor campfires. And so I, I put a new roof on it, which consisted of putting a tarp on top and then laying a bunch of boards across. And I felt pretty good about that. And it worked too, because the wood is now, is now dry. Um, I know that's a short-term solution. We'll see how short-term it ends up being for me. Um, and then I went in to get a piece of the wood to burn at a fire that we were having when my friend Matthew was coming down to see me. His birthday is the January 26th and mine was the 28th. And so we, we got together to celebrate and, and drain a few hop waters. Um, and I got this nasty splinter, man. Like, I don't know. It was at least two inches in diameter, maybe. And it went all up into my thumb and it was deep in there. And it was on my right thumb. So so me personally, I can't use the tweezers or a, a needle or a knife or anything like that to really get at it because of the way I had to hold my hand, the way I had to, I'm just like, this is not a good thing. So, so finally, after I'm picking at it for a long time, Matthew says, okay, let me get it. And he gets his pocket knife and he's working on it and he can kind of, he can kind of flick it up and get it to the surface, but then can't also grab it at the same time. So he calls in Sarah for reinforcements and Sarah, now listen, you have to understand here I am trying to lay my hand out to where my thumb is face up and also to where they can have light to look at it and then also do their minor surgery on my thumb. And that's, it's a crazy way to hold my arm. I, they obviously don't feel the pain. They're just the ones stabbing the thing, but I held it together pretty well. My kid, Sydney and Isaac are over there just laughing their heads off, videoing me and taking pictures of the whole thing. But because Matthew and Sarah both, as they lean in to stab my thumb and try to take this big boulder out, this big log out of my thumb, they both take their glasses off. And I don't know, I'm not a glasses guy, although I am going to go to the eye doctor. I'm, I'm going to go. Um, wow. Yeah, that was a thing. And that they got that out. But that was that was something. I, I, another I got a, a little bit of this is a big halftime today. Garden Web University has a new Starbucks in their student center. And they've been trying to, to promote that, that it should that it's a thing that the public can come to. And I got some Starbucks gift cards. I'm a Hannah's coffee shop guy. But I, I got some Starbucks gift cards for Christmas and birthdays and such as that. So I take the Starbucks gift cards over there after school one day, and I'm going to get a coffee for me and Sid, uh, you know, a chai and all that. And uh, so you have to park in the parking lot, LYCC, walk, I don't know, a couple hundred yards to get down to the Starbucks. I get down there. Students are working it. It's great. All right, let me get this and let me get that. They're like, okay, it'll be seven bucks. And I say, here's my gift card. And they're like, oh, we can't do gift cards. And of course I do the, the dad kind of response of, well, you, this is a Starbucks, right? This is a, a Starbucks gift card. We don't have that software yet. And I'm like, 
Hmm. All right, then. Well, I didn't have my wallet with me because I had Starbucks gift cards. So I walk all the way back out to my car, get my get my card, pull it, you know, get it, pull it, uh, walk it all the way back, get down there. They got my drinks made. And I'm like, okay, here's here's my money. And she's like, oh, well, we don't know how to do a refund. And I say, I don't need a refund because you never charged me in the first place. But what had happened was they needed to refund the person that came after me because they both charged her for her drinks and for mine. And I'm like, well, you know, because at first I was like, well, I'll just pay for hers. But they had put both of them on there. So it ends up I got both of my coffee drinks for free. Didn't have to use my gift cards. I still have that balance on there. But yeah, that'll be the one time that I went to the Starbucks at Gardner Web. Final one here is just a question for you that my friend and, and constant listener, uh, consistent listener has posed here. And that is, and this is for the males, I guess, although it, it isn't. The, the question is framed as boxers, you know, but just think about your draws, whatever it is you wear in the morning. The question was, do you select a special pair of boxers or do you just get the one off the top? And I had to respond that it depends because I'm a two shower a day guy. And so in the morning when I'm selecting my boxers, it's different than when I'm selecting it in the evening. In the evening, I just get the ones. I've got two different categories. The ones that are kind of older, I wear to sleep in and whichever one of those is closest, I get those. But in the mornings, I definitely, the Fruit of the Loom with the with the nice waistband, the newer ones, I pick them depending on what vibe. My pink pair is is for special occasions, you know, like my pink pair is is town council night or perhaps when I drive to Hilton Head or whatever. So what about you? Are you a, do you have to feel the vibe and pick what drawers you're going to wear that day? Or do you just pick which ones are on the top and roll with it? Well, one of the things that I'm working on in with um, my counselor, my therapist, is beginning to identify the things that I feel, the emotions that I feel. Apparently, I have not really allowed myself to feel those emotions for many, many, many years. I don't like to push them away. And in a lot of ways that has gotten me tied up in knots. And so I'm trying to identify things that I feel as they, as they come thoughts and feelings that I have, um, be aware of them and then hold them, you know, hold them gently, not be necessarily upset about them. I, I was, you know, I, I took just for an example, an example I didn't necessarily mean to share at this point, but I took Sydney's car to get it washed and I'm going to get some gas in it and get the oil changed all before uh, she gets her uh, a license. Hopefully, <clears throat> uh, as the insurance lady said, they don't always get them on the first time. I don't know why people make it plural. There's only one license, but people like to talk about getting them around here. But I realized, you know, as I was doing all that with the car this morning, you know, one of the things that I've become aware of is that I like to do stuff for my people. And I like to let them know that I'm going to do those things, give them things to look forward to. And in a lot of that, it is that I want them to be comforted. I want I, I like to be, you know, generous and 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 
and thoughtful and all that is fantastic all that is wonderful um but there is certainly a part of me that wants to do these things so that my people will recognize or my people will believe or think that I'm that I'm doing good that I'm a good thing you know that I'm a good father or husband or teacher or mayor you know any of those kinds of things and so then as I became aware of that and realizing that I don't have to do you know and I would say that to my kids you don't have to do anything to earn my love you just are and that's all that matters your existence is what is beautiful and I want to believe that about myself and so then my reaction to that is that I want to apologize for feeling like I need to do the things and in I recognize that part of that apology is so that you can see that I'm an apologizer that I am in touch with my feelings so that you will think good things about me there's so much performance that is ingrained into my existence and as I'm talking about this out loud for the first time right now it's it's really quite something um but but anyway i've i've begun to to type down and write in my notes on my phone and i've got a book that i will begin to write these different emotions and different thoughts that come up and 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 how my body reacts to them not being angry at them um I, i'm i'm reading this book in, in a uh, called radical acceptance by uh tara brock phd and she's talking about the Buddha and, and there's this uh, kind of the God of darkness, I guess, like Mara, I believe M-A-R-A is, is the, is the word I may be getting that wrong. I'm sorry. I'll correct that if uh, on the next episode, if I am, but, but it, it's interesting because even as, even as Siddhartha Gautama was sitting under the Bodhi tree and, and gaining the enlightenment, um, in, in this long wilderness journey that, that he was in, this God of darkness kind of comes to him and offers him all these really good things that he should take in all of these temptations, but the Buddha rejects. And that's interesting if you've ever heard a story similar to that. But, but one of the things that's striking to me is that what the, you know, the Buddha has an assistant, uh, Anand, I can't remember, Anandi, maybe anyway, um, that tries to protect the Buddha, the, the Siddhartha and, and try to keep Mara away from his tent. But what the Buddha says is, no, I want to invite this shadow God in, not in angriness, not in anger, but I want to have a cup of tea with him. And so I have two uh, places now in my morning ritual for two cups of tea to kind of consider that and to recognize the, the shadow parts um, that are a part of me that are a part of this world and not in a, a way to push them away, but to try to understand what they're wanting me to be aware of. I'm not sure quite what the language is, um, but anyway, anyway, I'm kind of making this into three parts today. Um, one of the things that I was doing yesterday or the day before when I was kind of in meditation in the morning is I was thinking about doing the podcast and I was thinking about whether I would just do Sydney's birthday story and leave it at the 20 minutes or so, maybe tack on some of the, the handyman updates for halftime and the boxer shorts questions. 
And did I really want to get into this second part? Because if I get into the second part, it may be 40 minutes, it may be 50 minutes. And I actually have a body, a bodily, a physiological response to wondering and worrying about whether or not people will want to listen for that long. And that's just wild, you know, like this part of me that, that craves and longs for and needs affirmation and acceptance for you to, to see me. Um, that's something that I'm really wrestling with and really trying to understand what my body tells me, how my chest tightens, how my, I, I almost feel breathless sometimes when it gets overwhelming, you know, my guts clench, my jaw is constantly tight, tends to be a lot of where this goes, but then to, to pause for a second and I don't want to get to the point where like, it doesn't matter if you listen or not. I do want you to listen. I appreciate you you. I appreciate you. I really do. Um, but I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be at peace and not be bound to or be pulled into um, the emotions that I think that you will feel that I project onto you. And then I feel those. And I've been practicing that this week. And perhaps those will, uh, I'll give you some more updates as it goes. It's okay for you to be sad, but I don't want you to be, you know, and I want to do everything I can to protect you from that. But that is a service to me or to you because sadness is a thing and pain is a thing. And by trying not to allow you to feel those things, that's, that's not good. That's not good for you or for me. And so I'm, I'm working on that. Um, and, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Um, so now as we really get to the second part here, should I play the music again? There you go. Two divisions this time. We're watching West Wing and we're in season three. And there's this episode where, uh, President Bartlett is talking about the, the sermon or the homily that he just, uh, heard at the church and it was on Ephesians, whatever. And it was be subject to one another. And, you know, it goes on to talk about the wives being submissive to your husband. And in the show, they're like, whatever, that we don't like that part. But but the being subject to one another was was how the president was talking about at that time. And, and, and that really struck me. And he goes on to say that, you know, we have this. Remember, this is in the 90s. This is in the 90s. And he says we have this voyeuristic public that's hooked on 24-hour media that's passing itself off as something real. And think about where we are now. How many people in this country watched a little white dot on a screen? It was a blue screen with a little white dot. And how long did you watch the contrails of the jet flying under? I'm not saying those things aren't aren't real things, but but how how powerful is our social media and our our uh, our politicians who who know how to make a soundbite and then that soundbite gets transmitted to millions and millions and millions of people and then continued on and then people feel as if they are in power because they know the lines of the script they are now a part of the play but is it real is it real life is it just a drama that has been ginned up drummed up a voyeuristic public hooked on 24-hour media passing itself off as something real. And what President Bartlett says is that instead of all that, we should be subject to one another, that that would be a way 
to combat this division that is created by this this drama, you know? So what does it mean? If that stuff isn't real, if it's kind of concocted in a way, then what is real? And one of the things I've been thinking about this week is 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 that maybe we create our own meaning. Um, it's interesting, Sarah got me some little cards that the company I think is called Rage Create. And rage and create creating are two of the things that I really was thinking about uh, thinking about before, but I got to thinking about tennis. You know, we watched the Australian Open. And in tennis, if you if you're serving, you should win the game. And if you do, that's called holding your serve. But if you if you lose your serve, then that's called being broken. Your serve was broken. And so you can be down a break. And if you get down a break, then how do you respond? And the only way to respond is to hold your serve the next game. It's what you can do. It's what you can control. And so I took this to the students and talked about this because we've had quite a bit of stressful situations at the schoolhouse over the past couple of weeks. And I just, I mean, we've had quite a couple of stressful years with it all. And so I'm trying to communicate with, with the students and I'm asking them, you know, how do you respond? What does it mean to be down a break? I ask them for other examples of other sports examples. You know, if you're if you're down two touchdowns, then you can't get it all back at once. You just got to do what you can do on this drive, on this play. You know, you gotta you gotta take this possession in basketball, whatever it is, whatever your analogy or your metaphor is, you can do what you can do, and that's that's it. But I've also been thinking about this poem. You know, that's it's it's in a is it an interstellar? Uh, that I think maybe it became famous again, but it's a Dylan Thomas poem. Do not go gentle into that good night, you know, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I think that's probably about the end of life in a lot of ways, but I've been thinking about it and taking it to the students and to my kids as this is the battle that we have. Like, do not go gentle, rage. We need to battle, battle for the arts. You know, math and science and the technologies and all that kind of stuff that we have are fantastic, but the arts are called humanities. We have to battle for humanity, our soul. What is it that we value? What type of art? What type of what type of music? Uh, uh, there's this thing called the facial feedback hypothesis, that if you smile, it actually does make you feel better, but that your body postures can lead you to certain emotions. And I saw this guy walking around the other day and he had his earbuds in. He's just walking around and he's just throwing his hands out like angry, you know, but also like screw all y'all. I got this kind of thing. And I, I've listened to those lyrics. I know what types of songs those are. And I know that that's important sometimes for you to hold your head up and to think that you've got this, even if anybody else doesn't have your back, whatever. I'm not judging that particular moment. I'm just saying that art is impactful. It means something. The things that we write, the things that we read, the things that we listen to, the things that we watch. And if those things become meaningless and trite, if they become empty and dull, if they're not challenging, if they're not provocative, we need to battle for those things. We need to rage against the people who are trying to make it dark. 
we have institutional decline. I mean, you know, you want to talk about being down a break? COVID, the, the gun culture that we have, the, the continual violence. I lost another student. Another student of mine killed yesterday. You know? And we have this gun culture that's that's pervasive, that 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 permeates our existence, that, that makes us want to blast a balloon out of the sky as soon as we see it. And, and whether that's right or wrong, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm glad we shot the thing down too. But that's our instant thing is to respond with this violence. And that stuff is in our schools. You know, when there are instances, it does not even shock the kids anymore. This is the, this is the, the constant cloud that they live with. Our politics are ridiculous. As I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a, ah, it's a farce. No real legitimate conversations going on, at least not in the public eye. If they were going on in the public eye, then the people having the conversations across the aisle would be, they'd be cast aside. They'd be written off. They'd be primaried. Our work is meaningless. You know, so much of the jobs and things that we have do not. And we do have institutional decline. Trust in our schools is not what it used to be. Trust in our medical system, trust in our police, trust in our government, trust in our churches. All of those things are in decline, in rapid decline. And I'm not saying that's not justified. It's not just the meaninglessness that comes with the culture or with the uh, the kids today. You know, like these institutions have failed us. And we better figure out how to begin to rebuild them. So anyway, I take all that to the students and ask them, you know, I put up Maslow's hierarchy. Abraham Maslow was a humanist psychologist. He has a hierarchy that basically says at the bottom, if you don't meet your physiological needs, if you don't have food and air and water, you don't really care about any other things. You can't really worry about safety. You can't really consider belongingness or esteem or whatever. But at the top is self-actualization. And in some cases, at the top is transcendence. I don't even know quite what that means for Maslow. But reaching your full potential, which is what we want for our students, is what we want for ourselves, is what we want, it's what we desire. That's the thing. Like That's what we're doing here, right? That's our journey here on earth is to become more fully human and to see each other that way. And so we talk about how, you know, physiological needs, maybe those are mostly met for most of our students, not for all of them. But then safety. And if we've got this pervasive violence in the, in the, in the, in the atmosphere, then, then how am I going to convince you to, to learn about the humanities? How am I going to convince you that poetry is a real thing? That philosophy is worth pondering. That theology is a thing to study. But that next level up, belongingness and love. And so I asked them, who, who do you belong to? To whom do you belong? And we talked about the different types of groups that you could belong to. And you could think about that for yourself. How many groups do you belong to? How, where do you find senses of belonging? Is it, is it on the tennis team? Is it in your church choir? Yeah. Is, it, is it in a, a civics club? Or is it a fantasy football league? It could be so many different things. Family. 
gangs. And we talked about that belongingness. And I tried to point out that maybe how could we work it to where we belong to each other as a school? Like school spirit is maybe the way that we talk about that. But we don't really sense this sense of belonging. We don't really really have this sense of belongingness as a school. People don't walk around saying, I'm proud to be a Crest Charger. At least not not the majority of kids. It's just a humdrum, what are we doing here? And even if you're complaining, which a lot of my first period did, I was so glad they began to complain about all the things. And I said, yes, do this. Speak your voice. That's better than just retreating and not doing and just like brushing this opportunity that you have aside because that's what you have is an opportunity, an opportunity to learn, to become more human, to become more fully human. But this Maslow's hierarchy is a, it's a pyramid, you know? And it's a thing that you climb up, but at least for me, I'll take a couple steps and then fall back down. And sometimes I'll fall a long way back down. And then you got to regain your footing. And that's what we do in life. That's what I do. We keep trying to understand what it means to be real. You know, that's the word we use. What it means to be human. I want to know what it means to be able to feel sadness without the clutching, gripping, you know, knots that come along disguised perhaps as sadness, but really which are fear and anxiety. I want to find that self-actualization, but I want to find belongingness and love and esteem along the way, you know. And I want to help you find it, but I don't want to find it for you. That's something. But I do encourage you to rage, to create, to rage against the dying of the light for all of the things that seem scattered and, you know, dusky, if not dark for the forces, for the people who are peddling in that type of thing. Rage. Create your meaning. Create beauty. Be the spark of light. You know, even if it, even when it's so difficult. There's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us out here that are in that situation that want to rage, that want to, to, to bring that light back. And you know what? My sweet 16 is one of them. All of my kids. It just happens to be her birthday. Our lady. Well, this, of course, has been a Church of Six production. The five of us plus you. Together we rage. Together we create. We belong to each other. It's brought to you by the wall of belief. By the magic rock. By the token of hope. By the foundation tower of stone. 
by the bucket of life. Drop some big rocks in that bucket this week, y'all. Make some big ripples. Nothing divine is desperate. Don't forget to believe and be live. Peace, my friends.